Well, it's about time you got here. I don't know nothing about that. All I know is that somebody is going to get the ass whooped over this thing. Gonads are useful for their purpose, but they are no substitute for brains. By the way, ladies and gentlemen, as always, this stuff in lieu of actual entertainment. All righty then. Hello, 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 and welcome back. This is Storytime, and I am GamerDude. We've got another episode of Storytime for you today, and with Father's Day upon us, yes, it's this week, Father's Day is coming up, of course we have to talk about my dad, Papa Gamer Dude. Would it be Gamer Dad? I'm not sure. Whichever way it works. He was not a gamer. Either way we do it, he's not a gamer. He would he would look at me with that dad eye and like, really, I'm Gamer Dad? My dad had a great sense of humor, but he never would have understood Gamer Dad. He would not have understood gaming never did he wouldn't have understood streaming he wouldn't have understood podcasts he would have looked at me like what what are you doing and 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 people listen to you why and i asked that question myself but i'm grateful that you do but he just never would have understood it there were just certain things that didn't make sense to my dad and if it didn't make sense to him he dismissed it he dismissed it out of hand that was my dad if it didn't make sense boom gone off the table we wouldn't talk about it anymore He had very narrow views about certain things. When he was right, he was right, even if he was wrong. So (laughs) that gives you a perspective of the kind of father that I grew up with. But I have fond memories of my dad. And for those of you who've hung around in the stream at all and who've listened to other episodes of the podcast, you know, I lost my dad several years ago. And um, it was a very difficult time for me. This episode is not about that. I'm going to talk about that in another episode. That's a That's a totally different topic. But this is a celebration of dad. My dad was a hard guy to celebrate because my dad was a hard guy to get to know. I didn't learn until after he died that he was an economics major in college. I had no idea. We never talked about it. He never volunteered it. My dad wasn't a guy you'd sit down and have a chat with. He was just a very, um, I guess the best way to put it is intimidating. My dad was six foot three inches tall. Big fellow. When he was in college, he was on the crew team. Those are the guys who row those long boats. So he was in really excellent shape in college. He was 6'3 and a trim 6'3. He really was athletic back in college. Uh, As he got older, he let himself go and stopped working out. So when I was growing up, my dad was 6'3, probably weighed in at about 250 to 300 pounds by the time that I was in middle school, high school. And when you met him, he was a big fella. Now, when you're a little kid growing up and your dad is 6'3 and a big fella, yeah, you don't, you don't give dad any, <laughs> you don't give him any hard times at all. If dad says something, you listen. Now, my dad never actually did anything to us, but the threat of doing something. I got smacked once in my life. I got smacked once in my life, and I still remember it because it stood out. But that's all it took. One smack, and then I said, you never know when the next one's coming, so I never did what I did again. Actually, I never did anything again that would risk getting smacked. But he always had that threat. He had this big old chair that he would sit in, and he had this move that he would make where if he told you to go do something and you weren't doing it quick enough, he would lean forward in his chair put his hands on the arms of the chair and make like he was getting up. And all he had to do was raise his butt off the seat and we would scramble 
like cockroaches in a room when you throw the light on. It was like, boom, out the door. We're gone. Okay, Dad, we're out. Go. He never actually got out of the chair. And it took me years to realize he never actually got out of the chair to do anything. I don't know what he would have done if we hadn't done what he told us to do, but I didn't want to find out either. But my dad was also a very organized person. He, um, he created the chore chart for us. If, if we had it these days, it would have been on an Excel sheet. But what he did is he took a giant piece of poster board and he divided it into seven columns. And then there were three rows, one for each of the kids. And in the columns were the days of the week. And under each day of the week for each kid, there were particular chores that we had assigned and we were expected to abide by the chore chart. So, for instance, Monday would be setting the table for me. My sister would clear the table. My brother would do what we called the kitchen work. And the kitchen work was cleaning up the dishes after dinner, putting them in the dishwasher, washing the pots and pans. That was a way to teach us, number one, responsibility, and number two, how to help out mom around the house. So Monday was setting the table, Tuesday was clearing the table, Wednesday was doing the kitchen work, and then it would rotate between the three kids. And this was a chart. This was this was the commandments of the house. It was taped to the refrigerator. And when things were on the refrigerator, that was as good as having it etched in stone. So it was taped to the refrigerator and we abided by the chart. So we had the setting the table, clearing the table, doing the kitchen work. Then the weekend chores were cleaning the bathroom, vacuuming the rugs. We each had our own thing to do and we would alternate weeks between bathroom and vacuuming and whatever else was on the chart. That was organization. That's the way my dad did things. He put things on that chart and we were expected to follow it. And we did. The punishments, of course, were grounding, loss of privileges, no TV time, bedtime an hour earlier, whatever it happened to be that particular week, that was what the punishment was. So we always abided by the chart. You've heard me talk about my dad and his deal-making and his uh, auctions and his garage sales and all the things that he would accumulate over the years. My dad was a deal-maker. He was both in his business and in his private life. He would go to garage sales. And he taught me the art of haggling at garage sales. My dad was a haggler. I was not a haggler, but my dad taught me how to haggle. And if somebody had something marked $5 at a garage sale, he would never spend $5 for it. $5 was far too much, especially if they were asking for it. He could always get them to come down off of that $5. And he had all these strategies and he taught them all to me. He would give me $2 and say, okay, go up to that guy. Tell him all you have is $2 and show him the $2. And ask him if he'll take the $2 for it. And so that was how I learned to haggle. And nine times out of ten, they would take the $2 for it. You know, the, the, the poor little kid with only $2 who wanted a set of matchbox cards. My dad also taught me the art of bundling. You may have heard of it on some of these reality shows with the guys making deals at flea markets and that sort of thing. My dad had this years ago. And his philosophy was... If a guy's got an item marked $2 and another item marked $2 and another item marked $2 and another item marked $2 and you wanted all four of those items, you certainly wouldn't pay $8 for it. No, you put them all together, bring them up to the table and say, hey, you take five bucks for these. Sure enough, they'd more often than not take five bucks for all four items. They wanted to get rid of it. You wanted a deal. Boom, you've haggled. That was my dad. We also went to auctions together, and I'll tell you stories about auctions in greater detail because I still do that. I go to them on occasion, as much as a tribute to my dad as for any other reason. But auctions, and if you haven't been to an auction, it is quite an experience. 
the way they do country auctions or the way they used to do country auctions in New Jersey was they had the, they would have the auctioneer up on the porch or in the garage or wherever all the property was. And one by one, they'd bring the items up and people would bid on the particular items. And the auctioneers, some of them were like the old, the livestock auctioneers that you see in Texas. And they'd, I can't do it. I wish I could. But they would do that really fast things on, and you'd have to kind of decipher how they were asking for the bids. Hey, give me a dollar, give me a dollar. I see, I can't do it. Give me a dollar, give me a dollar, give me a dollar. And it was a sing-songy kind of way to do it, and you would have to listen and pay attention. And my dad had this way of bidding. It, 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 would, be, it would be like a little like a little lizard tongue coming out, the way his hand would shoot up and get that bid out there. It was like, boom, the bid would be out there. And the auctioneers, they knew him. So they would be looking for him and all the other guys who knew how to bid. And it would be like the hand would shoot up, he'd snap the finger, and they'd, oh, there's my dollar. And that was his style. And then he had all these hand signals. Like if the auctioneer was starting the bid at $10, my dad would do a chopping motion. And they would know that he meant he would give $5. Chopping meaning apparently half of what the asking bid was. And they knew it. And how he picked up these these signs and these, these gestures, I don't know. I guess it's just years of practice. But they all knew this style. So you had those sing-songy guys, and they'd work the, okay, we got $5. How about it was a whole nother world that I would experience when I go to the auctions with my dad. But he wanted to make the deals on these products at the auctions because his big plan, and he actually carried it out, his big plan was that he would buy things cheap at these auctions that were the country auction out in the middle of nowhere, and they'd go to the antique dealers or the auctions for the higher-end products and turn a profit. He'd buy something for a dollar on Saturday and sell it for $5 the next Saturday at a different auction. And he had a little business going that way. And this was his hobby. As a regular job, my dad was the corporate manager of purchases for the company that he worked for. And he had worked his way up to that. Now, corporate manager of purchases... That's a guy who buys things and sells things or buys things for the company at discounts. So it's no wonder that he knew how to haggle at garage sales and auctions. It's what he did for his living. He just did it for fun on the side, which I guess is a good thing because he took what he was good at buying and selling and turned it into a hobby that he really enjoyed. So that's where I learned to make deals and that's where I learned my appreciation for buying things secondhand or buying on antiques or looking for the, the little treasures that other people thought were trash. What's the old saying? One man's treasure is another man's trash. It's the truth. You can find amazing things at auctions and at garage sales that people are just willing to get rid of. So I learned the value of repurposing, recycling, buying people's junk. That's what I learned the value of. But it's the truth. People throw things away or get rid of things that otherwise have good uses. And my dad taught me that. <laughs> and it's funny. As, as I was outlining what I wanted to talk about for Father's Day, I started making a list of all the things that I wanted to talk about. And I'm talking about the garage sales. I'm talking about the auctions. I'm talking about the deal making. And that just barely scratches the surface. I've got a couple of pages of things here that I remember about my dad and the things that were important to me about my dad and the things that I learned about life from my dad. And yet we never really sat down and talked about life. I remember doing a report on him. I think it was seventh or eighth grade. The assignment was to do a report on your hero. And my dad, my dad from those earlier days was my hero. And if you hear my voice 
if you hear my voice crack a little while I'm doing this episode, it's because I love my dad so much. It was difficult to get to know him. I never really feel like I got to know him, but I have stories about him. So I have the memories of him and I kind of want to share those with you so that the memories that I have of my dad live on and so that other people can enjoy the kind of person that he was. Oh, he was aggravating at times and he was, you know, as dads can be very difficult at times, but he was a very funny man. And he was a very caring man. And uh, that's what I always tried to be in my life because of him. All right. Yeah, 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 yeah. I know, I know, I know. (laughs) I (laughs) I could get very maudlin as I do this episode, and I don't want it to be maudlin. I want this to be a celebration of what a great guy my dad was, because he really was. I mean, yeah, he made me crazy as a kid. I mean really crazy. There were so many things that that all dads do that make all of their kids crazy, and my dad was no exception. But in the big scheme of things, my dad was a great guy. But getting back to the deal-making and the, <laughs> the penny-pinching, which my dad was very good at, and he had to be because he was a young man raising a family of three kids all within about five and a half years of each other. At a job that didn't pay a huge amount of money when he started, but he worked his way up to become the big mucky muck of the company. But until he got there, we didn't have two nickels to rub together. And I remember that. I remember how difficult it was and how much he emphasized saving money, putting money aside for yourself, but not wasting money and not buying things that you didn't need just because you wanted them. That's a strange concept in this day and age where credit is king. My dad, he had credit cards, but he paid them all off. He never ran up charges because he didn't believe in buying things that you couldn't afford. And I learned that lesson. Now, I I went off the path as I got older and I got myself in some credit card trouble as a young adult, but I corrected it based on the upbringing that I had about learning and remembering You don't just have to buy stuff because it's out there. You buy stuff that you need. And if you don't have to pay bust-out retail for it, why would you? The prime example of that is (laughs) my dad's tulip collection. As I sit here, I laugh because we had... There were were a couple of things that we did so that my dad didn't have to spend, spend money on it. The company that he worked for was a very large company. Uh, The name of the company was Allied Chemical Corporation. The name is no longer in existence. The company is no longer in existence. It's been absorbed by different companies. I believe Honeywell has it now. But at the time, Allied Chemical was a very big company. and They had a very very large campus in uh, Morristown, New Jersey. As a very large company with a very large campus, they had landscapers. And they would dress up the campus with flowers and bushes and trees and made it a very pretty place to go visit. So every spring, they would put out different flowers. And one year, they had tulips growing all around the place. Now, the place was a huge, huge company. And so for years, they had these tulips come up. As you may know, tulips come back every year. You plant the bulbs and every year they come back. Well, one year, they decided they were going to dig up all of the tulip bulbs. And my dad got wind of this. 
And my dad always wanted to have tulips at our house. (laughs) So we took the family station wagon. We went to his company on a Saturday and dug all of the tulip bulbs out of all the dirt that the bulldozers had bulldozed to get the tulips out. And we gathered up as many tulip bulbs as we could. And we brought them to our house. And we then had to plant all of the tulip bulbs at our property. Why? Because my dad wanted tulips and he didn't want to be, he didn't want to be spending any money for them. I mean, why spend money for them if you don't have to? And to this day, literally decades later, some of those tulips still come up on my parents' property. The free tulips, they're still there. The other money-saving thing, <laughs> and as I, as I sit here remembering, I go, oh yeah, yeah, I remember that. My dad was a gardener. He liked green things. He had house plants too. Oh, the house plants. Oh, I could go, <laughs> I could go down a side road about all the house plants. But he was also a gardener. He liked to grow things. We had tomatoes and cucumbers that he would grow in the garden every year, and he loved having a garden. When we moved to New Jersey, we moved into a new development, and the development was on land that they had that they had improved by filling it with fill dirt. But the fill dirt was primarily clay. My dad discovered you can't grow things in clay. Yeah. <laughs> It's great for building houses on, not so much for doing gardening. But my dad also had a friend at work who owned a horse and a horse farm. So my dad had the great idea, well, I'll strike up a deal with this guy. So he talked to his buddy and in exchange for going up to the guy's farm and collecting bins of horse manure, we could have it for free. (laughs) Yes, it's the truth. My dad made a deal where he would voluntarily go shovel this guy's horse manure off of his property just so that he could use it in his garden. It's the truth. I swear to God, this is what we did. So in the springtime, when it was gardening time, after, after the ground was no longer frozen, we would load in three or four garbage cans in the family station wagon. We still had the station wagon back then. And we would go up to this horse farm with our shovels and our gloves and our, and our work clothes and we would shovel horse manure, and we would fill the garbage cans full of horse manure. And then we would haul the horse manure from this guy's farm back to my parents' house, and we would haul these big garbage cans full of horse manure up to the garden area, and we'd have to dig the horse manure into the ground and mix it up so that the clay and the horse manure would form some kind of growable soil so that my dad's garden would flourish come this, the late spring and the summer. And we didn't do it just for one year. We did it for a few years. And we didn't just do it in the garden. We actually wound up doing it for the entire yard where there was grass and where there was bushes because my dad wanted stuff to grow. And one year he went to an auction and bought a rototiller for a deal. And uh, we would then get more horse manure and he would take this rototiller. For those who don't know what a rototiller is... Picture a lawnmower, but instead of the area where the blade is that cuts your grass, you have these giant wheels with hooks on them that you dig into the soil and turn the soil up and digs down into the ground. You can dig a foot down into the ground with a rototiller. And in order to make your ground fertile, you would rototill the ground and mix the horse manure in with it so that it all mixed up into a nice, yummy, messy, muddy yuck that just smelled delightful as you were working with it. So I had many springtimes 
all covered in free horse manure so my dad could have a garden. Yeah, my dad was unique. <laughs> my dad was also a storyteller. My dad, my dad could do accents. He could do affects. He could tell a story like nobody's business. And I'm going to close today with one of my favorite stories that my dad told. And this goes back to uh, his houseplant fetish. He loved houseplants. And our house was always filled with houseplants. Uh, I could never grow plants the way he could, but he could keep plants growing like nobody's business. He kept them alive. He could bring them back from the dead. He had some kind of magical green thumb in him that would that would make any plant grow. He just had a way of making whatever kind of plant you wanted grow big, bigger, biggest, so that it was green and flourishing and beautiful. As part of his job, he would travel to different areas of the country. And in one of these trips to Atlanta... Uh, he and a friend of his, guy's name was Frank, were traveling back from Atlanta after a trip. And the story my dad tells is, as he and Frank were boarding the plane, now you have to remember, this is back in the days before there was the security that we have today, before the TSA, before you had to go through screening. You literally walked across the tarmac of the airport, and they had a staircase that you that you would walk up, to get onto the plane. They didn't have jetways like they have now. Back in those days, you would walk across the tarmac, climb a set of stairs, and climb into the plane that way. So as they were walking across the tarmac, Frank and my dad saw these beautiful plants in Atlanta. They were a kind of a dried grass. I want to say they were like pussy willows, but they weren't really like pussy willows. If you've ever seen the pussy willows, those are the long uh, the long tail-looking things that grow in the wild. But these were a unique-looking thing at, in Atlanta, right by the edge of the tarmac. And my dad wanted to bring some home so that he could have them in the house. His, his intention was to dry these pussy willows and put them in a vase and have them by the door. And again, this is the way my dad's mind works. Well, they're free and they look good, why not use them as decor in the house? But he realized trying to get these six-foot-tall pussy willows onto a commercial jetliner was going to be a bit of a task. So his friend Frank said, Yeah, Pete, don't worry about it. I've got you covered. Just go get your pussy willows. So my dad ran across the tarmac. He had a little penknife in his pocket and cut the pussy willows off. He cut a dozen of these plants and brought an armful of six-foot-tall pussy willows up the stairway into the doorway of the jetliner. As you might expect, the stewardess looked at him a bit oddly as he climbed the stairway and paused at the door of the airplane. But Frank was right there. And Frank was there with the story. Wow, this is uh, Pete. He's a botanist for the University of New York. And uh, he's bringing these flowers back to do some examinations of them in our laboratory. So we really need to make room for them on the plane. We just discovered them on the tarmac here. And we want to make sure that he has enough to do an adequate study of. And my dad kept a straight face. Frank kept a straight face. And the stewardess gave him a look and said, Well, if it's for science. And my dad brought back his six-foot-tall pussy willows. And they made it to our house. And they were featured as part of the decor for literally years in the house. The Atlanta pussy willows were in the house for as long as I can remember. And that's the kind of guy my dad was. And now you have a flavor of where I come from. There is so much more. There was so much more to the man that I could tell you about. 
But that's enough celebration of my dad because he makes me laugh when I think about him to this day. The stuff that he did, the things that he said, it, it was just, he was a delightful human being. And I owe the kind of person that I am to the kind of person that he was. He was a caring man. He put his family first. He was a very successful businessman. But as, a, as successful as he was, he never put family second family always came first. And that's the way I live. And I'm eternally grateful to my dad for giving me that perspective. That's going to do it for this episode of Storytime, guys. Thanks for being here. Thanks for listening to my stories about my, my dad. He's a, <laughs> he's a constant presence in my life. Even though he's been gone for years now, he's never really gone. And I appreciate you listening to the stories about him. Thanks, as always, for your support. I can't thank you enough for the time that you take to listen to these stories and for all the support you give me. I really do appreciate it. You guys take care of yourselves. And until next time, I'll see you when I see you.